Good morning once again, Flatland Bible Church, and happy Independence Day for those of you that will be traveling uh, after this, after services today, or those who might be traveling uh, for the rest of this weekend. We pray that uh, your journey be safe here. I want to welcome those who are visiting this morning and those who are watching online. What a privilege it is to stand in this pulpit this morning by the grace and mercy of God to be able to herald his word and proclaim to it to his bride this morning. Before we get started, I want to say send a special thank you to all of you who serve here for the glory of God, to those in our hospitality team, uh, making sure that we are fed here and there are some hearty hearts in the morning. We thank you for those that help clean the facilities here and help keep that clean. We uh, thank you, a big thank you to those who teach here, both the youth and the adults. And I want to send a big special thank you to Brother Jacob for your message this morning in Sunday School on post-Christian America. A very sobering reminder uh, it is of the world that we are living in right now. And lastly, I'd like to remind everyone to continue to have our prayers uh, be out for Pastor Matt and Gabby as they are enjoying their vacation together in Colorado. We pray that the Lord bring them safely back home this coming up week. This message of the sermon this morning is entitled, Walking Witness. We will continue our exposition in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 this morning. So if you all have your copy of God's Word, if you could all join me this morning in standing as we read the Word of God together. Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. This is the word of God. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for waking us up this morning. For breath in our lungs, Lord, to be able to praise and worship unto you another day. We thank you for getting us safely here, for the gathering of your people, Lord, and your body. We know that it was paid with the precious blood that you sacrificed on the cross, Lord. Let us not take that for granted. As we open up your word, I pray through the Holy Spirit that you illuminate this text so that it can stir and meditate in our minds and go deep into our hearts, Lord, that we may be sanctified, be more Christ-like, that we may walk and glorify you in everything that we do. We pray for those that aren't here today, whatever circumstances may be, that you bring them back safely. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Why do we exist? For what purpose is my life? More specifically, why has God chosen to reveal himself to me? To gift me with faith? 
Why has he called me out of darkness into indeed his marvelous light? For what reason do I exist? These are all very common questions that we have asked ourselves, if we're being honest, at one time or another. Or maybe we've heard others who have asked these questions to themselves, or maybe we've had these conversations amongst ourselves with those in the faith or not in the faith. As new babes in the faith, that the Lord has chosen to illuminate our eyes and through repentance and belief in the gospel, now indwelt with his Holy Spirit, it would be a very appropriate question to ask this. What do I do next? We will see the answer to our questions as we walk through these texts together this morning. And as we speak of our first examination this morning, I'd like to open up with an example of God's providence. My experience with moving to Lubbock over the past 11 years has been an experience, to say the least. Since I first moved to Lubbock 11 years ago, I had with all intentions of my heart of not wanting to stay here. In fact, I remember declaring that to myself, that I would not spend the rest of my days here in Lubbock. And thus so, I had moved out of Lubbock three times during these 11 years, with each time the Lord bringing me back here. Now, obviously, at the time, it was very frustrating that I kept having to move back due to different circumstances that I was not in control of. But now looking back, it is easy to see that there was, in fact, God's fingerprints of providence. My time here has established much grace and mercy for me. I've been able to grow a family, and I've been able to be a proud homeowner. I've been able to achieve steadiness in my professional career. And lastly, I've been able to meet my wife, Allie, who God used to reveal himself to me. See, before I had met Allie, I was lost in this world. While Allie was a believer, and it was through my relationship with her that I came to know the living God. And I thank God every day for calling me to himself through my wife. And it is only through the grace and mercy of God that I'm standing here today with my church family, God's beloved, heralding his word. And I'm sure you're all thinking of times that God has shown his providence in your life. And we could have thousands and thousands of stories that testify to the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord. So let's talk about what providence is. Perhaps no, no one has studied and devoted his life to the providence of God more than that of John Piper. In fact, he has recently released a 711-page book entitled Providence. As he pours out decades and decades of knowledge, study, and wisdom given to him by our Almighty Father. And in that, he answers this question, what is divine providence? To which his answer is this, quote, 
The reason this book is about the providence of God rather than the sovereignty of God is that the term sovereignty does not contain the idea of purposeful action. But the term providence does. Sovereignty focuses on God's right and power to do all that he wills. But in itself, it does not express any design or goal. And he goes on to say the word providence is built from the word provide, which has two parts. Pro, which is the Latin word for forward, or behalf of, and vide, Latin word for to see. So you might think that the word provide would mean to see forward or to foresee, but it doesn't. It means, quote, to simply, to supply what is needed, to give sustenance or support. So in reference to God, the noun providence has come to mean the act of purposefully providing for or sustaining and governing the world, end quote. As we open with this portion of the passage, we see first that Peter opens up by saying, by using here the word but. It's very important as of last week that we had learned how Peter described the differences of those who God had chosen to be living stones. And then there are those who had rejected Christ. Who in verse 8, Peter explains, are disobedient to the word. And to this, doom, they were also appointed. But now inversely, Peter is now speaking of those who, who God has chosen to reveal himself through the work of Jesus Christ. And he states here, but you are a chosen race. Charles Spurgeon once said that, quote, long before time began or space was created, God had written upon his heart the names of his elect people. End quote. Quite frankly, as I began my walk as a new babe in the faith, I also could not fathom this thought. Those who God had chosen? But as we examine scripture to seek the truth to this matter, we will see that in fact, God has chosen for himself a people. Of his own good and free will, God has indeed written upon his heart the name of his elect. Peter uses Old Testament references here to state his claim to support this. And in a strong contrast to the disobedient who are appointed to God's wrath, Christians are chosen by God to salvation. To quote Spurgeon once more, who said, salvation is of the Lord. Peter is shaping the idea from Deuteronomy 7.6 that says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people of his personal possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of this earth. And so the natural question we would ask ourselves would be this. Why did God choose such people? Well, he answers that question next in verses 7 and 8. He says, the Lord did not make you his beloved, nor choose you because you were greater in number than any other people, since you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by his mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh king. 
So we see that God has indeed chosen his. Those who bore the birthright and bloodline of Israel. Psalm 33, 12, the psalmist says here, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own possession. And lastly, Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Let us be reminded of Peter's greeting also in his letter as he opens up by saying to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The theme of being chosen by God for himself throughout all the counsel of scriptures is undeniable. This word chosen quite literally in the Greek means eklektos, meaning selected for or elected but now let's be reminded that Peter opens up his passage here by saying, but you, who are you? Indeed, Christians, his letter was written for the elect exile, those who are in Christ. And we remember earlier, providence points to a purpose. And we can see now how God has poured over his grace and mercy into a new covenant. One that was formed before the foundations of the world. The promises of God, now through the redemptive work of Christ on Calvary, allowed a way to extend his elect to all the nations of the world. Of every tribe, of every race, of every color, and of every tongue. Let us be reminded that this was not done on a whim. This was not flippantly done by a sovereign God, no. God was not reactive to the choices that man had made. Christ was not plan B. But all along, there was a plan from eternity past that he had made a covenant with his son to step out of time and write the story of redemption for our good and his glory. Isaiah 46, 8 reads, Remember this, and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. God has declared the end from the beginning. Does this sound like a God who is not in control? Indeed, his purpose was fulfilled by the new Adam, Christ Jesus. That now we may be partakers of the royal priesthood. This concept that Peter writes is once again one of that of Old Testament rituals. 
He draws this illusion from Exodus 19.6 that says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. The law had not yet been established with God's people through Moses. The title of the priesthood would later be established with Aaron and then through the tribe of Levi, who were set apart to perform sacrifices and to lead and worship in the tabernacles and the temples. The priestly institution itself was needed only because sins of the people had not yet been dealt with. And an inter intermediary was required between Israel and God. But having this title had a contingency, did it not? Look at what God had said. Now then, if you would indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession. These titles belong to the nation of Israel. And we can see from this text once again, more providence of God. As he establishes to Moses that they shall be my own possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. Signifying that God, in his good and sovereign will, has declared through space and time what shall come to pass. But we know that the Israelites had failed time and time and time and time again to keep the covenants of God. And with their apostasy, the Lord had temporarily forfeited this claim. But through his providence, he used the Jews to execute the Messiah so that a new covenant would now be formed. And through the perfect work of Christ, his church would stand now. And thus the promises of the titles extended not only to the Jews, but to also the Gentiles. This is a big deal, church. It is as if we went from playing in Pop Warner football to the pro leagues. It is as if someone had called you today and said that you are now the recipient of an inheritance that you knew nothing about. That would change your life entirely and forever and completely. Not only in this lifetime, but throughout eternity. This term royal priesthood does not refer to us now being of kingly status of having titles of little g gods no but rather that now through christ's blood he has ransomed a people for himself and thus we are united united with him through the high priest the head of the church christ himself christians are now adopted into the claim of the royal line of jesus that now belongs to and serves Christ. Thus the new priesthood is now one where all who are in Christ have the same access as the Levites had. To come to God directly through Christ who now stands as our mediator. But why? For what reason does this all matter? Peter explains so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. That leads us into our second header proclamation. 
This word proclaim is an unusual and rare word found in no other place in the New Testament. It means to tell forth, to make a report or make known something not otherwise known. Now since we have been chosen by God before the foundations of the world, adopted into a royal priesthood of the high priest, Christ Jesus, because we have been set apart to be a nation of children of God, of people who have been added to his possession, what are we to do now? To proclaim. But not just any proclamation that we wish. This isn't an invitation that now, we, since we have been regenerated in the spirit, brought forth from death to life, that we may now go on about our lives carelessly, self-exalting and self-indulging ourselves. Contrary to what so many people believe about this Bible and all of its wonderful stories, that we can walk away thinking that this is all about me. How self-righteous can the heart be? But rather, since we have been chosen by God, set apart, adopted into sonships, that our proclamation is made to Him. That we can read throughout the Bible and the Council of Scriptures and come to know indeed that Jesus spoke to His disciples in Luke 24, that this is true, that all Scriptures concern Him. Christians are not called to proclaim or make much of ourselves, but to be walking witnesses to proclaim the excellencies of Him. This word excellencies means praises or it means virtues. So specifically, we are to proclaim and praise the virtues of Christ to others, making much of Him. We practice this on a daily basis. To be a witness of Christ is to indeed proclaim Christ by action, in word, and deed. Next week we will examine this passage where Peter exhorts in verse 12 to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good work, good deeds, and glorify God on the day of visitation. And once again later in his letter, in chapter 315, Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And lastly, Matthew 5.15, Jesus sums this all up by saying, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Amen. Do we now see the reason that we exist? That we've been chosen by God. We by design exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Church, I want to ask you this morning. Do you proclaim the excellencies of Christ in word Indeed, do you show grace, love, mercy, unity, 
peace, kindness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. Do you keep your conduct among each other honorable? Do you keep your heart prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you? Do people walk away from you at all times saying, what is it that this person has? There may be no greater compliment to receive than that of, I can see Jesus in that person. We are meant to be light and salt in this dark world. Now called forth out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's like the lyrics from the song we just sang, Grace Alone, as we say, I was in darkness all of my life, and I never knew the day from the night, but Spirit, you made me see. Could there be a better reason to praise God, to be a living testimony of the grace and mercy shown to us, who God has taken us from spiritually dead to be made alive in Christ Jesus? Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 5, 7, Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you are formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of God. And I love this in Acts 26. As Paul is giving his defense to King Agrippa, he provides him with the testimony of his conversion. And as he speak of, speaks of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in verse 15, he says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, that is God's providence, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I appear to you. That is proclamation, church. Verse 17, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness into light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Church, that is purpose. Which brings us to our last header for today, purpose. 1 Peter 2.10 For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we stated from the beginning, that providence has indeed a purpose. It is a purposeful act that God has decreed from eternity past. And so to examine the big so what of this passage is to ask, so what is the purpose? We see the emphasis of what Peter is writing here in verse 10, that once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have mercy. To quote the late R.C. Sproul, who said, the greatest act of mercy that God performs is giving the gift of faith. Through the providential work of God, he has purposed for his people to declare his praise by an act of spiritual rebirth. Through faith, God has designed us first to be spiritually reborn, brought out of darkness into light, 
so that we may proclaim his glory. Let's look at some scriptures to shake this out. 1 Peter 1.3. We read this earlier as we exposited 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, there's mercy, has called us, there's purpose, to be born again, there's rebirth, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Isaiah 43, 20 and 21, as God is speaking to Isaiah about how he is to restore Israel, he says, the, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the deserts, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Isaiah 60, 21. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branching, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands. Why? So that I might be glorified. And once again, back to Ephesians 1, 4, this time examining this text. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us as adoptions to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Here it is. Why? Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. We are chosen by God to be a walking witness to all others, to proclaim his excellencies so that he may be magnified so that he may be glorified. We exist to make much of Jesus. To quote R.C. Sproul once more, who said, we are to be mirrors of grace to others, reflecting what we received ourselves. This is what happened to the Apostle Paul, is it not? That Christ would use him to proclaim the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. To the very gospel that we have heard and know today. This gospel that is the power unto salvation to all who believe. We all come to the cross the same way. And it is by design so that no one may boast. We were all spiritually once bankrupt. We all once walked condemned, dead in our transgressions. We were all the walking dead, so to speak. And just like how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead by shouting, Lazarus, come out. He also did the same to you and to me. While we were spiritually dead, Jesus shouted out with his effectual call and his irresistible grace to bring us from death to life. To bring us from children of wrath to sons of obedience. And we were all called to proclaim this gospel and if every truth of Christ and Christ crucified, there is only one way, one road that leads to salvation, and that is through Jesus. I pray this morning that if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you have felt Him stirring in your heart of hearts this morning for the answers of your existence, that you too can be saved by this very gospel. By repenting of your sins, 
turning away from your evil ways, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart. When we started this journey through 1 Peter, the message of this entirety was called Walking world Worthy in a Wayward World. That's a tongue twister. And indeed, this is true in these scriptures that we are examining today. That we exist to walk worthy in this wayward world, being light and salt to proclaim His excellencies. We will be taking the Lord's Supper this morning. Before we do, we will have a moment of reflection. And in this time, I encourage you to take a moment and to remember what God has done for you. And to remind yourself of the goodness and faithfulness of Him. And if there's anything that you need to confess to the Lord, that you may do so this morning. And then after we partake, we will pray and play a song to reflect on this message today. And then Jacob will come up with our doxology and we will be dismissed.